Hey, science nerds. Welcome to Beyond the Abstract, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of the coolest cutting edge basic science research papers in a way that just about anyone can understand. Hi, welcome to episode five of Beyond the Abstract. It's your hosts, Derek and Ellen. Today we have a very special guest with us. Uh, her name's Brittany. I've known her for many, many years. Brittany, do you want to introduce yourself? Tell us what you study, where you went to school, and your research interests. Hi, I'm Brittany. I'm a third year uh, PhD student at UPenn. Um, I'm studying cell biology. I've been studying the cytoskeleton for several years in, in undergrad for two years at the NIH with Derek after graduating and now um, in my PhD. Derek, you picked the paper this week, so do you want to introduce the topic? So this week, the paper we're discussing is on the cell skeleton, known as the cytoskeleton, in the context of heart failure. So it's really fitting that we have Brittany here to talk about the cytoskeleton with us because that's what she studies. Brittany, can you tell us a little bit about what parts of the cytoskeleton you study? Right now, I'm working on microtubules, which is what's talked about in this paper. Okay, so I'm... you're like, you're basically an expert, right? <laughs> Definitely. Brittany, Brittany's a freak for the cytoskeleton, if we're being honest. Do you guys want to share your Wi-Fi name? <laughs> so I feel like the story needs a little bit of context. Brittany and I, when we were both at the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, we both studied this one cytoskeletal protein called myosin. And I don't think that I became as obsessed with the cytoskeleton as Brittany did because I'm no longer studying it in my PhD. But as a joke, I did name our Wi-Fi cytoskeleton freaks. I can't tell you guys the password or else, you know, you're all going to come and use my Wi-Fi. <laughs> so the paper we're talking about today has to do with microtubules, the protein that Brittany studies in heart failure. The title of this paper is Suppression of Detyrosinated Microtubules Improves Cardiomyocyte Function in Human Heart Failure. And this paper was published in 2018 in the journal Nature Medicine by the Prosser Group here at the University of Pennsylvania. And Brittany, actually, like, you kind of know them, right? I see them at journal clubs and research in progress. <laughs> okay, so she's at least also a little familiar about, like, what the group does, what they're up to in terms of research activity. Again, I know the paper title is like filled with a ton of words that are just super, super complicated. So we're going to break this down so you understand what we're talking about. First of all, what are microtubules? And I think it's best for Brittany to answer this question. So microtubules are part of the cytoskeleton, so they're important for giving the cell shape, allowing them to move, allowing them to divide, sort of just like your skeleton you don't divide. <laughs> <laughs> and microtubules are the largest part of the cytoskeleton. And the stiffest. And the stiffest. It's the uh, largest and stiffest. There are things you can do to like alter this like stiffness, right? Mm -hmm. In order to make the cytoskeleton more or less flexible. And one of these kind of alterations that you can do is called detyrosination. And essentially, it's just taking away a component of the microtubule, and this makes it more stiff. Yeah, so tubulin has a tyrosine at the very end, 
and it sort of sticks out from the microtubule, so it's sort of what all other proteins can see. And so it plays a big role in what other proteins will interact with the microtubule. And so something about detyrosination is it prevents proteins that disassemble microtubules from binding to the microtubule as well, and so those microtubules are more stable. So one of the other things we wanted to talk about were cardiomyocytes. So cardiomyocytes is just a name we give to the heart muscle cells, and these are the cells that contract to squeeze blood, and these cells are what we call post-mitotic, meaning these cells cannot divide, which is why things like heart attacks are so bad, because when these cells die, essentially, like, you don't have any in reserve. The only way your heart can really compensate is that the individual cells get bigger since Mm -hmm. they can't divide. And this is called hypertrophy. The cardiomyocytes, they really have two jobs. The first one is, as I already said, it's to contract really quickly in order to squeeze blood out of the heart. The other thing is that they also have to relax really quickly so the heart can fill with blood and so that it can contract again. Both of these processes are actually active processes, and it's kind of like a spring. So when you take a spring and you stretch it from both sides, essentially you're building up energy, and when you release it, it'll spring back to its original shape. And that's kind of like a cardiomyocyte contracting and relaxing. And your heart has to do this a lot. With each beat, you need to contract and relax. So your heart is working really hard each time it's pumping blood through your body because it has to do this active contraction and then also this active relaxation. Your heart beats like 100,000 times a day. It's got to do it a lot. So (laughs) it really has to be like good at this. In heart failure, what happens is the heart can't put out enough blood to keep up with demand. And there's really two types of heart failure. And this is related to the two jobs of cardiomyocytes that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. The first type is where the heart doesn't contract enough and it can't push out enough blood to meet the body's demand. Mm -hmm. And this is called systolic heart failure. The other type of heart failure is actually where the heart can't relax enough to fill with blood. And we call this diastolic heart failure. So you can see that both the contraction and like the relaxation are both super, super important for the heart to function. Yeah. The question that this group was wondering and that they were trying to answer is, what role do microtubules and specifically this alteration, detyrosination, what effects does this have in heart failure? What's its role in heart failure? Maybe by answering this question, we can actually also find new ways to treat heart failure. Mm -hmm. So we're just going to jump into the paper. Okay, Sounds good. The first thing they did was they really wanted to see what was going on within these heart cells. So they were actually able to get human tissue. Yeah. Which is like a really big deal. Really good. (laughs) (laughs) A really good starting point for us research paper is when you can get access to actual human tissue samples because that's going to be the best representative of what's happening in the actual disease. They were able to take human tissue from normal and failing hearts and analyzed all the different proteins. This is called proteomics. And then using computer algorithms, they were actually able to see what categories of proteins are different in failing hearts, like either proteins that are increased or decreased compared to normal hearts, and then look at specific proteins as well. So look at both the family of proteins and the specific protein in those family of proteins. And 
First, what they found straight off the bat was that failing hearts have an increased amount of microtubules. And when they were looking at these proteins, they were looking at all proteins that could possibly be in the cell, right? And then they narrowed down to these cytoskeletal components. And that's when they landed on the increased amount of microtubules. It's kind of like an unbiased approach in some ways, right? Because they're not just like picking their favorite protein and like looking at it. Right. In previous studies, this group has looked at like specific proteins that they were interested in. But this, when you're doing proteomics, you're, you're looking at everything. And like, that's like the cool thing about proteomics is that you get to look at all of it at once rather than delete like every single one in a mass and see what happens or mm-hmm. delete everyone in a cell and see what happens. This is a really, really cool way of analyzing all of it at once. Mm-hmm. So this group found that failing hearts had an increased amount of microtubules. And they found that proteins that cause microtubules to become stiffer through this alteration, detyrosination, were actually higher in every single heart failure sample. Wow. Just like crazy, right? Yeah. That's like hitting the lottery. (laughs) Yeah. Finding the common denominator for your target protein is pretty big deal. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I can barely get all my friends to show up to a party (laughs) like on time. (laughs) So the fact that this isn't like every single sample was really pretty remarkable shows that even though they were getting heart failure from different causes, there is a somewhat common underlying cause among all of them. Britt, maybe you tell us a little bit about the balance of microtubule stiffness. Why do you even want microtubules to be stiff at all? Mm -hmm. Okay, so some microtubules, when they undergo mechanical stress, you want them to be more stable so that they're not doing things like breaking. The heart is like the perfect example because yeah. it's like literally beating yeah. all day, every day, or your entire life. Yeah, you don't want those microtubules just breaking down. <laughs> Should be like a pretty good spring there. It's yeah. got to be good quality. Good like, quality. <laughs> we're not making this out of like paper mache right now. <laughs> so you want these to be stiff so they can stand up to long-term use or even just when you're exercising. I mean, I wouldn't know. I've probably run three times in my life, but- Other people. (laughs) Other people might want theirs to be able to stand up to the stress of exercise. When they were looking at these altered microtubules, were they able to show that it actually has effects on the cardiomyocytes in heart failure? This is the really cool part of this paper. They were able to look at the effects of this alteration, how it was actually affecting the function of the heart muscle cells. So what they found was that cells with increased alterations were more stiff. This resulted in a decreased ability to contract and to relax. So imagine you're clapping your hands underwater versus clapping your hands in honey. These heart failure patients, their hearts are essentially filled with honey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way. <laughs> They're not actually filled with honey. These heart muscle cells are actually trying to contract against a really, really stiff force. Mm -hmm. And over time, I mean, you're going to get like tired. Exactly. Your heart's a big muscle, but like we said, the only thing that it can do is undergo hypertrophy where the cardiomyocytes try to grow bigger, but that's not really good enough to keep up with the stress over many, many years. And it can only do so much. We can only take so much. I know. I get tired going up the stairs, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) My poor heart. (laughs) They're starting to work out tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lie. (laughs) So they were able to tell that the microtubules are making the heart stiffer through a lot of different experiments. The first thing they did was they imaged the cardiomyocytes under a microscope. They're able to like actually look at the structure 
of the microtubules. And this type of imaging I like love. <laughs> As yes. you know, I'm a sucker for immunofluorescence. He's just a shallow scientist. He just wants it to look pretty. They found that failing heart muscle cells have disorganized microtubules and more microtubules. So these were like thick girls and boys, right? Like thick. <laughs> thick girls and boys. And they also found that a greater percentage of these microtubules were altered. They were detyrosinated. Essentially, what they concluded was that this detyrosination was making them stiffer. So was this detyrosination something that they were able to see on imaging? Because they had seen that with the proteomic data, but... Yeah, so, I mean, just from, like, still imaging, you really can't tell that much about the movement of the cardiomyocyte. They looked at the function of the cardiomyocyte in two ways. First was they wanted to see how stiff the cardiomyocyte was. So they used this technique called nano-indentation. And it's exactly what it sounds like. They take the world's tiniest (laughs) toothpick and they just poke the cell and see how much it goes in. It's kind of like that girl from Despicable Me. Right? And she's like oh. hugging the unicorn and she's like, it's so squishy. I'm going I'm I'm to die. die. <laughs> but so it's scientific like, because they use the word nano. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Put nano in front of anything. First it was like micro, and then it was like nano. nano and next it's going to be like pico. I didn't even know that came after <laughs> nano. But yeah, so pico. <laughs> they essentially just poked the cells and looked at how much it indented. Um, and they were doing all of this in a dish. The other thing they could do is something called live imaging. So it's the same thing. They're imaging these cells, but they can see in like real time how much it's contracting, how much mm-hmm. the cell is contracting. Live imaging of cardiomyocytes. Very good. <laughs> chef's kiss. That was a chef's kiss if it didn't come through. <laughs> I mean, like these things like aren't trivial, no. right? Keeping cells alive in a dish and especially like heart cells that don't divide. I mean, you do a lot of imaging, mm-hmm. right? Keeping for... them alive while you're putting light on them, while you're jabbing them with a tiny needle. I'm just thinking of, do you know that Office episode where they're like learning CPR? <laughs> and then, who is it? Andy? Oh no, Michael is like trying to do CPR and the instructor's like, oh, just do it to like... Staying alive. Staying yeah, alive. Do it to staying alive. Yeah. And he's like, First, First time I was afraid. afraid. <laughs> I was petrified. That's essentially like me trying to keep your cardiomyocytes alive. alive. Yeah. It's like you're about 100 beats too slow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've tried. <laughs> so essentially what they found is that the failing heart cells, the ones that had this alteration, they contracted less and they contracted slower. Mm-hmm. What they also found through the nano indentation was that heart failure cells were also stiffer. So they essentially indented less. Mm-hmm. Thick girls, that's what I'm telling Thick. you. So is there any way to improve the function of these heart muscle cells? There's a lot of contributors to what's causing these cardiomyocytes to not contract and not relax well, mm-hmm. right? Like we know that there's more microtubules. Microtubules are disorganized mm-hmm. and the microtubules are altered. Mm-hmm. So your thought process is, If we do something about it, like if we make them less disorganized, if we can like stop this alteration from happening, can we actually improve the beating of these heart cells, right? What they did first was they treated failing heart cells with two different drugs. 
One's called Colchicine, which is known to break down microtubules. It's mm-hmm. actually a drug currently approved, approved for, for gout. gout. Yeah. yeah. Ellen, I'm sure you probably saw at least one gout patient. Yeah. Very painful condition. Colchicine is a pretty good drug. But just to emphasize, this drug wasn't ever thought of being used for heart failure patients. And the other drug they treated these cells with is called parthenolide. It prevents detyrosination. It prevents the alteration that um, we were talking about. Mm-hmm. It's not really known how it does this. Mm-hmm. It just was found to be one of the effects of it. Mm-hmm. But they used these two drugs to treat the cells. And mm-hmm. what they found was it actually decreased the stiffness and increased the ability of these cells to contract. These cells were able to contract faster. They were able to contract more, mm-hmm. like generally improve the function of them. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. Because like I said, these two drugs, you know, you would never think to use them for heart failure. But now that they know this target is the microtubules, they use these two drugs known to target microtubules and they saw improved function. Mm -hmm. Drugs have a lot of side effects. So they essentially want to see, is this improvement actually because the cells are getting detyrosinated less? Mm -hmm. So in these cells, they were able to express this one protein that essentially does the opposite of this alteration, right? Mm -hmm. It tyrosinates them Mm -hmm. rather than take away this component, it Mm -hmm. adds it on. Mm -hmm. So you're essentially just like adding it on at the end. Then they did the same thing, you know, looking at the heart cell, seeing like, is it stiff? Is it contracting well? And what they found was that it's squeezing real good. Mm -hmm. These cells are doing everything that they're supposed to do. Yeah, and if Derek were to go on a run, maybe he could get some blood pumped into his brain. (laughs) I don't think we're going to test that one out anytime soon. We'll move to human models later. (laughs) Okay, so um, Ellen, do you want to like wrap it up? Yeah, hopefully I can summarize all the great things Derek taught us about this paper. I think the first major takeaway is that when they studied these heart failure patients' samples, they saw that an important feature of these changes are changes in the heart muscle cytoskeleton. And what they saw with the cytoskeleton is that there's greater numbers of microtubules. They become less organized and they have this alteration with the detyrosination. This paper essentially shows us is that there's a common thing underlying a lot of these heart failure patients. And this is one of the first times I think that they showed that like all these patients have something in common which in terms of treatment, I guess, is really Really good, right? Like you can treat all these patients, hopefully, similarly. Another thing that we learned from this paper is that when they looked at these microtubules with their imaging, they saw that they were denser and that also the altered microtubules increase cell stiffness and don't allow the cardiomyocytes to contract as well. They want to see, okay, we know what's like going on with these heart cells. Is there anything we can do to like actually fix that? So that's where they treated these cells with the two drugs, colchicine Mm -hmm. and parthenolide. And they also expressed a protein that reversed the alteration. And in all three cases, they found that the cells were actually able to be better and they were less stiff. So essentially they could contract and relax better. So where do you go from here, Britt? Like, where do you take this next? So you can imagine that putting a compound on a cell that you have in a dish is very different from giving that to an organism, especially <laughs> a human. So I think 
from there they'll they'll work their way up either using like drugs or or gene editing to see if it has the same function in an organism yeah i feel like you know it's it seems like a little like reversed why are we going from human to mouse you gotta like keep in mind that like b cells are in a dish they're isolated yeah the human body is not that simple me personally i'm like a hot mess (laughs) and i think that by putting this in a mouse you actually get almost a more physiologically relevant model that you can make better conclusions and we can give these mice a bunch of drugs and see what the effects are then Right, and you have microtubules all over, and a lot of them do have this alteration. It's not only in cardiomyocytes, so you can imagine it'd be pretty important to find out what the effects everywhere yeah. else would be. <laughs> yeah, totally. totally. And I have a question for you. So I was a little confused during this paper why they decided to, instead of reversing the alteration, why they didn't just prevent it altogether. My favorite topic. <laughs> She's um, a cytoskeleton (laughs) freak, like I said. (laughs) So people have actually known that this activity of detyrosination existed since the late 70s, but nobody was able to figure out what protein did it. And then finally, a couple years ago, one year ago, they finally, two groups finally identified what protein it is. And so now that the enzyme that does detyrosination is known, the group will be able to directly target that and see if it has the same effect as using perthenolide or overexpressing TTL. So, like, you're, like, buddy-buddy with Ben Prosser. Right? Like, you <laughs> Very guys are, close like, friends. basically best friends. <laughs> Do you know if this is, like, something they're, like, actually working on? Um, last year, um, Ben Prosser gave a, a journal club on the two papers on the discovery of VASH 1 and 2. And he said he was very interested in it. So, so I can, I'm sure. It seems like the logical next place for them to go. I feel like I'd be pretty excited too. Yeah. Right? It's kind of like the entire time you know something's happening, yeah. but you like don't know what's causing it. It's basically a haunted house. Spirits all around knocking bases over. They're like, where's the ghost? Right? They found the ghost. They found the ghost. They found it. Yeah. <laughs> just in time for Halloween. <laughs> Well, Halloween will be passed by the time you guys hear this. (laughs) And it wasn't Halloween when they discovered it. (laughs) I mean, I think this paper specifically is really, really exciting because heart failure, first of all, is really, really common. Yeah. How many many people have it? I think that's over 6 million people in the U.S. have heart failure. And like 50% of them maybe have diastolic failure. Yeah. That's the heart failure where... Your heart cells can't relax enough. Yeah. And heart failure is like debilitating. You can have like shortness of breath. You can have chest pain. Your legs get swollen from like all the fluid Mm -hmm. that like backs up in your blood system. You get tired. Your heart can beat irregularly. Yeah. It can be quite terrible overall. And the treatments for it aren't really that great. And the treatments currently really only extend life for patients with systolic failure. That's yeah. the type where the heart can't pump hard enough. Yeah. Right now, none of the treatments for diastolic failure actually prolong life. Mm-hmm. It really just makes you feel better. Feel better. You know? It yeah. gets like rid of some of that fluid and stuff, mm-hmm. but none of them have been actually shown to have any benefit on your lifespan. Mm-hmm. This paper, the fact that it showed us that we can actually treat potentially diastolic heart failure, a treatment that that can actually help cells relax better and contract better. That's a really big deal for like a lot, a lot of patients. Mm -hmm. 
it's a major void just in the whole field of cardiology that we have basically no treatments for half these patients with heart failure. There's just been no good options thus far for them. They're essentially just waiting for a heart transplant. And especially these patients with diastolic failure, you wait until they get to a point where you start the last line of drugs, the Hail Mary drugs. Once you start these, you're on a, a timer yeah. until you can get a heart transplant. Yeah. And that timer is not very long. Exactly. This paper is showing that we can actually modify a cytoskeleton to improve this. It's like really, really great. But modifying the cytoskeleton, like Brittany said, isn't really trivial, right? Yeah, you have the cytoskeleton in all of your cells. So. Like every single one. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally everywhere. Can't escape it. So yeah, if you're targeting something that's in every single cell, you might have like pretty severe side effects from a drug. And this isn't even like the first time that we've tried to target the cytoskeleton in a treatment. A lot of cancer yeah. drugs target the cytoskeleton well, and we know how severe those, those side effects from a lot of chemotherapeutic agents can be. You lose your hair. You get a lot of GI issues. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you like start losing feeling in your arms and stuff because Mm -hmm. it can affect your nerves. Messing with the cytoskeleton really messed shit up. But this option at least might be better than the one they currently have. But they're just going to have to do a lot more like studies with mice and then hopefully eventually humans to see if this is a drug that can actually help these patients and like prolong their lifespan. Okay, so I think that just about finishes the paper. And as you guys know, we like to do on this, we love to ask our guest a few personal questions. The first one is, what's your favorite part about doing science, Brittany? My favorite part is something that very rarely happens. Um, and it's when something works the first time that you try it, <laughs> and it feels really good. And that's when you feel like a scientist. Yes. <laughs> Honestly, like, Probably like 99% of my experiments don't work. Yeah. So that 1% of the time, it's like, it's, I'm just trying, I'm trying to be real here. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. I mean, it's like, there's like a ton of troubleshooting that goes Mm -hmm. on, Mm -hmm. right? There's like a lot of like trials and like tribulations. You really have to have thick skin. Yeah. To keep on keeping on. Yeah. You got to be excited about the successes because otherwise it's hard to be a freak some might say <laughs> a freak for what you study whether that's you know the cytoskeleton or other things like maybe the microbiome not oh, speaking from <laughs> my own biases <laughs> okay so Britt our second question for you is what's your worst lab injury ever I don't actually think I've ever gotten hurt in lab but I can say what my like nearest miss was yes. okay let's go for that um I was coming to get something off of a shelf above my bench and I didn't notice that someone had turned the Bunsen burner <laughs> at my bench <laughs> on and then left it unattended and I went and I reached up to the shelf and everybody in the room yelled <gasps> no <laughs> I was fine I didn't catch on fire but that was it- my nearest miss if you listen to our first episode, that is eerily similar to Jenna's for, well, it wasn't even a miss. She like singed off her arm <laughs> Almost hair. burned down Harvard. Yeah. <laughs> so let's all watch out for our Bunsen burners, I guess. Yeah. That's actually a requirement to be on the podcast. You had to have been injured or almost injured yeah. by a Bunsen burner. <laughs> and, you know, Britt and I have known each other for a long time and she is a huge one Direction fan. She's a One Directioner. Freak. 
a freak, <laughs> you might say. Especially for she's wearing a Harry Styles shirt right now. It's really distracting, Harry Styles face yeah. while we're discussing science. <laughs> so as you can imagine, she was pretty heartbroken when they announced that they were uh breaking up. I think she was like also Sorry. secretly happy that Harry was like yeah. finally getting his time mm-hmm. in the light and like mm-hmm. pursuing a solo career, but mm-hmm. she was sad. Mm-hmm. So, Brit, our last question for you is how much money would you pay to see a One Direction reunion concert? The only reason that I keep my credit score good right now is that so I can go into a lot of debt when One Direction reunites. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine, like, Brit, like, arriving to the bank and be like, I need to take that <laughs> They're gonna be like, what for? I'm not saving for retirement. I'm just like putting money into an account so I can follow them when they get back. <laughs> That's investing in your future, honestly. The, the one in 401k is for One Direction. Of course. 401d. 401d. My favorite 401d account. This is how we get millennials interested in finance. Yeah. This is this is why like people are like millennials are ruining the economy. We're just spending too much money on One Direction. <laughs> yeah, this is the new avocado toast. <laughs> like if kids stopped going to One Direction concerts, they'd be able to buy a house. It's actually true in Brit's case though. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> All right. I think we better quit while we're ahead. Thank you for being here, Brit, and talking to us about the cytoskeleton. Thanks, Brit. Thanks for having me. Thank you.